And we have just sung out the love of God, the perfect love of God. This morning uh, we looked at chapter 4, verses 7 through 14, uh, the first letter of the Apostle John, wherein we consider this morning the power, not only the perfection of God's love, but the power of God's love, and the power of God's love to transform and change us. We read 1 John 4, uh, we'll read verses 7 through 14, and then uh, our next time together, uh, we'll complete the remainder of chapter 4. Here now the reading, here now the reading of God's Word. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. By this, the love of God was manifested in us, that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our lives, even as you have caused your Spirit to take up residence in us, in those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus. <clears throat> we pray now that your Holy Spirit would enlighten our minds in the knowledge of Christ. And we pray, Father, also for the awakening power of your Holy Spirit that would lead us to Christ and enable us to put our faith and trust in Him. Grant us, O Lord, to see how great is your love for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his glorious name. Amen. <coughs> now there are some very powerful forces that are at work in this universe. Some of them are uh, felt by us or experienced by us but not seen by us. We see the impact of them, and we live 
in their midst, even though we don't see them with our eyes. The power of gravity is a great force in this universe. It is always at work on us, but yet unseen by us. And then there are some great forces in this universe that um, are manifested in very devastating ways, powerfully, and also very destructive. They are manifested. In 2004, there was a great earthquake that took place in the Indian Ocean, and that earthquake then brought about the great ripple effect of impact throughout the ocean, it created one of the greatest tsunamis on record, and some 240,000 at minimal count from 14 nations were killed by it. Just a matter of moments. Some $14 billion of damage was done. And besides what we call also these natural disasters, great manifestations of power in this universe, there are also those things that are man-made. There is war and nuclear bombs and all the rest. Great and powerful forces at work in this universe. But there is, in my estimation, a more powerful force at work in this world. More powerful than tsunamis, bombs, and all the rest put together. It is the force that moves the hearts of men. To do some most amazing things. It is the power that bound the eternal Son of God to a wooden cross. Jesus says in John 10, verses 17 to 18, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so that it may, I may take it again. No one has taken it away from me, but I lay it down on my own initiative. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This commandment I receive from my Father. In the final analysis, what held Jesus to the cross of Calvary was not the Roman soldiers who stood guard. It was not self-control, albeit certainly in play. Not the crowds. Not even the nails that pierced His hands and His feet.
Jesus could have at any moment removed himself from the cross. Perhaps you remember when he was arrested, he stated that he could have had 12,000 angels at his disposal at a moment's notice to rescue him. Now, what bound the eternal Son of God to the cross of Calvary, what held him there, was not anything physical. It was something spiritual in nature. It was the love of God for poor, miserable sinners like you and me that held Jesus to the cross. The love of God is one of the most, if not the most powerful force in this universe. And if you encounter, if you have had an encounter with the powerful love of God, it will transform your life. It is a transforming power. I wonder if you could say uh, this morning, that's right, Pastor Barnes, because I know that to be true. I I have been overwhelmed myself by the tsunami of the love of God. Now, I don't stand before you this morning by any means to speak to you as though I'm an expert on the love of God. One of the most difficult things about dealing with a text like this is to have to realize and come to grips with how little I know about the love of God, how how little I have experienced of the love of God. How, how inadequate I am to tell you something about it. <clears throat> Yet I stand before you to testify that I also have though come to some knowledge of, some experience of the love of God. The love of God has at times overwhelmed me. And I can remember even now, at this very moment... Uh, the overwhelming sense of the love of God that came upon me at my conversion. It was as though I walked on a cloud for weeks or months. So overwhelmed was I by the fact that God had loved me through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And many times since, On occasion, standing here behind this desk, God has overwhelmed me with a sense of His love for me or lifting my voices in song with the people of God or standing at the table where Christ offers Himself to us our salvation. I've been moved with the love of God. If you encounter the love of God in Jesus Christ, you will encounter, undergo a spiritual Copernican revolution. You will have, as it were, a new focus in your life, a new center. Your life will be turned upside down. 
And like Henry Cravendam used to say, then you'll be right side up. There'll be a change of focus, a new center of gravity, a new perspective in your life about everything in your life. And you will no longer be yourself the center of your universe with everyone and everything orbiting around you. But the power of the love of God will change all of that. And you will become then the orbiting body that is going around and centered upon the living God and bound to Him, held in orbit by the power of His love. In our text this morning, John again for the third time turns our focus upon the love of God and correspondingly the indispensable necessity of our love then for one another as believers in Christ. And thus, here again is another vital sign of spiritual life. Here again is one of the evidences of eternal life, the presence of which assures a man, a woman, or a child that he has truly come to know God. Thus John writes in verses 7 to 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. One of the signs of spiritual light is a deep and abiding love for and commitment to God's people, your fellow believers in the body of Christ, the church, the bride of Christ, love that flows out of a transforming encounter with the very love of God Himself. This is one of the great problems of, uh, of human society. The reasons we have governments and the reason we lock our doors have keys to things. What power in this universe can transform a man or a woman or child from self-centered, self-loving, self-serving, self-promoting, self-focused pursuit of life into a self-denying, self-sacrificing, Others-serving pursuit of life. There's only one power that can pull off such a feat. It's the power of the love of God in the heart of a man. It is this transforming encounter with God, the God of the heavens and the earth, to know God is to be transformed by His powerful love. It is to be changed by Him. And I think John is saying to us <clears throat> that we cannot know God. We cannot have communion with God. We cannot have fellowship with God. We cannot possess eternal life and not be transformed by that encounter. To experience the love of God is to have a powerful encounter with the love of God that changes your life, your marriage, your family, your business, even a nation. So 
So I want to focus on three things about God and the power of the love of God that John sets before us in our passage. First, the source of love, the essence of it, and the last, the manifestation of it. First, the source of love. You note that John tells us in verse 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. Here again, we are exhorted to love one another as believers. John 13, 34-35 records that Jesus tells us one of the distinguishing marks of Christians is that we love one another. Where does that love come from? What is its source? Note, first of all, where it is not found, the source of this love is not found in man himself. It does not originate with us. It doesn't come out of us. It's not because we are such good-natured, wonderful people. And so we are the nice people of the community and we gather together to show each other how nice we are. As though somehow that niceness or goodness somehow originates from us and others don't have that, but we do. Now John tells us in verse 10, And this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us. And then in verse 19, We love because He first loved us. The source of love does not originate with us. Rather, our hearts are corrupted by sin, <clears throat> selfishness, and we are consumed with self-love, and thus the source of love is not found in us. It cannot be found in us. But rather, it's found in God. Verse 7 reads, Love is from God. It begins with God. It's found in Him. All that is truly loved flows out of and from God. He is the vast, inexhaustible reservoir of love. There is in God an infinite and eternal love as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit dwell together in holy perfection, the three persons of the Holy Trinity loving each other from all eternity, the Father loving the Son and the Spirit, the Son loving the Spirit and the Father, and the Spirit loving the Father and the Son, a holy communion of perfect and infinite and eternal love. And that communion of holy love existed before creation, before even man was brought into being. There was love in the Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Genesis tells us that God created man after his own image to enter into a loving relationship with God. He created us with the capacity to love God and to love one another that we might know God and enter into this loving communion that existed in the Trinity itself among Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That His love would flow into our lives and that we would have love for one another and thus reflect the love of God Himself. Thus to know God. To be in communion with God is the source of love. And thus, to have eternal life is to be in fellowship with the God who is love. And thus, to know God is to be hooked up into the source of love itself, to have the love of God flow into your life, a transforming power that renews and revives. No wonder the love of believers for one another is a sign of spiritual life. No wonder John tells us in verse 7, 
Let us love one another, for love is from God. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. So we could say then that if you don't know God, who is the source of love, you cannot truly love anyone. And if you do not know God, <clears throat> you don't have the capacity to truly love. And if you do know God, who is the source of love, you cannot not love. It will be inevitable that you will love. Now, not only does John point to us, to God, as the source of love, but he even tells us that God is the very essence of love itself. That it is in God that we find the definition of love. Verse 8 says, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. You ever knew somebody who was just defined by something? <clears throat> that person is Mr. Baseball. Or he's Mr. Golf. Or Mr. Whatever. He, he's consumed by that thing. He's Mr. Baseball. He knows all the facts about baseball. Everything about the history of baseball. He knows all about the teams that are playing and who's in what place and who's behind so many games. And so you say, you look in the dictionary under baseball and his picture is right there. He's everything that's there. He eats, drinks, and he breathes baseball. God is love. He defines what love is. Impossible to know. Love without a knowledge of God. It's not just some abstract concept divorced from the nature of God Himself, as though it has some existence outside of God. John tells us that love is that which God is in His essence. God is love, and the one who abides in love abides in God, and God abides in Him. So he says in verse 16, here we see something of then the personal nature of our God. God is not just spirit. That is not just immaterial. Not just some undefined spirit of some sort or another. He is not just raw power or raw will as in Islam. Our God is personal and can be known. He is in His essence love. One of the great philosophical problems that has plagued philosophers throughout the ages is that of how can man have personhood if he arises out of that which is material and impersonal in nature? How does personhood arise out of that which is impersonal? The Christian answer is that it comes from God who is personal. He made us after his own image. And who in his essence or being is love. God is love in and of himself. But of course, in order to love, you must have an object to love. So that that love might be expressed. The essence of love then is found again in the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Three eternal persons loving one another. God is not only the source of love, but He defines what love is. It is the selfless promotion of and the seeking of the good of another. It is the promoting of the well-being and the glory of another. The Father loves the Son. The Son loves the Father. And so on and so on as they promote the glory and the well-being of one another as 
persons of the Holy Godhead. All that love is, is God. Love shapes and defines all of the attributes of God. All that God does is loving. When He is just, He is loving. And when He is good, He is loving. And when He is righteous, He is loving. And when He is merciful, He is loving. And even His wrath is an expression of His love. The Father loved the Son and vindicates the offenses committed against the Son by punishing those who have committed the offense. And each person moved by a love for the other comes to the defense of the other. What would you think of a husband who stood by passively while evil men took advantage of and abused his wife and he did nothing to come to her defense. But just stood by and let others take advantage of his wife. Wouldn't you say to yourself, He must not love her very much. He must not care for her very much. Because if he did love her, he would rise up and come to her defense to protect her and defend her and to see that those who have abused her would be punished because of their offense. So the Father punishes those who abuse and mistreat the Son and speak evil of the Spirit. And the Son rises up in defense of the Father and the Spirit, and the Spirit in defense of the Father and the Son. They rise up in defense of the honor of each person because of the love they have for one another. Everything about God is love. He is love in His essence. Thus John can write in verse 8, The one who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Thus, to be devoid of a true love is to demonstrate that you do not know God and that you do not have eternal life and that you do not have fellowship and communion with God who is love. So again, we see that love then is a vital sign, a spiritual vital sign, an evidence of spiritual life. It is the proof that you have been born of God and that you know God because you love one another. Having been loved with an eternal love, by God Himself. And not only is the source of love and the essence of love found in God, but this is not just purely theoretical. It's not just abstract or philosophical or speculative. But God, John tells us that this love also has been manifested. It is observable. You and I can experience it. Well, how so? Well, He tells us in verses 9 through 14, by this the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love. Not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us And His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us. 
because He has given us of His Spirit and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. God is the one who is manifesting His love in the Gospel. It is in the sending of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is in the coming of Jesus Christ that we have the very love of God manifested to us in concrete and visible ways that we can grasp and sink our teeth into it. Three times we are told God manifests His love for us in that He sent His Son into the world. The coming of Jesus into this world is the concrete, visible manifestation of the love of God for guilty, condemned sinners like you and me. It is at the cross of Calvary that God manifests the depth of His infinite love. How can you experience the love of God? The Apostle Paul prays for the believers in the church of Ephesus. He prays that they would grow deeper in their knowledge of and experience of the love of God. Ephesians 3, verses 17 to 18. He says, So that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith, and that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the height and the depth and the length, and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge. That you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. How do, you, how do you grow in your comprehension of the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of God? Well, where is it manifested? Where do you go to see it? Where do you go to see the demonstration of the magnitude of God's love? You go to the cross the cross of Calvary is where the love of God is manifested in terms undeniable. There, God the Father, in counsel with the Son and the Holy Spirit, gave or sent His only begotten Son for us. At the cross, we see the love of God manifested first in the value and the uniqueness of the gift. The value of the gift that is given in some measure communicates the depth of love. Now, I'm not saying that always that's the case. In other words, the more expensive a gift you receive, uh, the more someone loves you. Very inexpensive gifts can communicate a great depth of love. But here it is put before us. The value and the uniqueness of this gift is a measure of the greatness of this love. What would you give as an expression of the depth of your love for someone? Someone that you love deeply and dearly, would you not be willing to give everything you have that you might show them your love? I know some of you parents would be willing to give up your own life for the sake of your child. What parent would not think when seeing a child sick unto death, Oh God, take me. Let me have the sickness. Let my child live. God gave His own, His only Son for you.
incomprehensible, unspeakable measure of love. By this, John says in verse 9, by this, the love of God was manifested in us that God has sent His only begotten Son into the world that we might live through Him. The love of God is manifested in the value and uniqueness of the gift. And also in the gravity and the magnitude of the sacrifice that he made. Verse 10 we read, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The magnitude of the love of God is demonstrated by the gravity of the sacrifice. Jesus gave up His own life, but even more than that, He took our place on the cross and bore our sins in His body and then endured the wrath of God, poured out upon Him as though He had committed those sins when He had committed none of them. To a great measure, we understand the depth of the love of God, its breadth, its length, its width, when we look at the cross and see the wrath of God being poured out upon Jesus in our place because of our sin. Thus, those who minimize sin and thus minimize the judgment due because of sin, and thus cheapen the sacrifice of Jesus and make light of the love of God. Because, see, if your sin is not much, then hell is not much. And then Jesus did not sacrifice much And you have not been loved much. This is what the word propitiation means. It means that the justice of God is satisfied as the wrath of God is poured out upon the Son of God and the payment that you owe is made so you don't have to go to hell because Jesus went to hell in your place And it was the love of God that sent him there for your sake. Thus John can write in verse 10, This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Your sins demand punishment. Either you will suffer punishment or someone must suffer it for you and the only one qualified to do so is Jesus. Thus, the manifestation of the magnitude of the love of God is seen in the magnitude of the sacrifice that Jesus made. The value and uniqueness of the gift, the gravity and magnitude of the sacrifice, and the glory and the magnitude of the result. This great sacrifice is 
great manifestation of the love of God results in your salvation, in the gift of eternal life, in the forgiveness of your sins. He died for our sins. His death removed the judgment of God from us. He is the Savior of the world. And now you have life. Not just life, but eternal life. And the hope of new heavens and new earth. This is where you see the supreme manifestation of the love of God is found. It is found at the cross in the Gospel. This is where we experience the love of God. It is this experience of the love of God in the death of Jesus that then will move us to love one another. Thus John writes in verses 10 and 11, In this is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved... If God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. Our love for one another is secondary to the primacy of God's love for us. We love because God first loved us. Our love is the response to His love for us. Our love for one another is the result of the experience of His love for us. Our love is secondary, but nevertheless, the inevitable result of experiencing God's love, the inevitable response of being loved by God. I wonder, do you have someone in your life that you find it difficult to love? To the degree to which you are unable or unwilling to love, you demonstrate to that same degree how little you have experienced of the love of God. And the more you understand and experience the magnitude and depth of the love of God in Christ, the more that love will flow out of your life into everyone around you. The love of God is a transforming power. The experience of this love moves us to love. The more we know of God's love, in Christ, the more we are transformed by it. John Stott writes in his commentary on this passage, No one who has been to the cross and seen God's immeasurable and unmerited love displayed there can go back to a life of selfishness. The more we experience the love of God, the greater the transformation and the love of God is perfected in us. May our God so overwhelm you by a tsunami of His love at the cross of Christ that you are transformed by it as we pray together. Lord our God, we are amazed that you would love such as we and we are inadequate to even begin to express it. 
O Lord, show us more clearly the magnitude of your love at the cross of Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.